The Artificial Intelligence Podcast. AI in real life. I am what you might call a crybaby. My pain threshold is ridiculously low, and I have a fear of dentists that borders on a phobia. According to my parents, I even had a sixth sense for doctors, so I could avoid them. When I was a toddler, we traveled to China, and I got bitten by a mosquito. It was then that we learned that I have a pretty bad allergy because that bite swelled up to a purple, pus-filled beast covering half of my leg. Sorry, that was disgusting. Anyways, my parents tried to take me to a hospital, and they still tell me the story of how three streets away, I already started crying and refusing to go any further. The hospital entrance nowhere in sight. I guess it's time to come forward. A big red cross on top of a building, visible from the entire neighborhood, is a pretty clear signal, even for a four-year-old. Like Joseph Sarash, CTO AI of Microsoft, shared in an earlier episode. AI has a huge potential to create more good in the world. For instance, through applications in healthcare. Joining me is Rick van den Brule, a data analyst at Lucy, a digital health platform for patients living with long-term conditions, and for the healthcare professionals taking care of them. For now, it primarily makes their lives easier, but the technology has the potential to increase healthcare quality beyond what humans alone could accomplish. We have an application for chronically ill patients. Uh, where they can uh, send in uh, measurements about their health to their uh, to their clinic, and what used to be the case, what's still the case, is that chronically ill patients need to come in regularly to get their health checked up by by their doctor, and um, with modern technologies like the smartphone and Bluetooth sensors, they can collect all kinds of uh, can collect this information themselves and send it to their clinic without having them to come in. Right. Imagine I'm an elderly or chronically ill patient. How does my life change by using your product versus what it was before? Yeah. So there are uh, sensors, medical sensors that you can attach with Bluetooth to your cell phone. Mm-hmm. And um, and you can measure your blood pressure, your heart rate yourself. Right. So rather than going into the clinic every How often does that happen? Yeah, so normally these people would go to the clinic maybe once every three months or when they start feeling bad. Uh, and now uh, with um, with an app like this, you can measure in or send in measurements every two weeks or maybe every week if uh, if that's necessary. So you both don't have to go into the clinic as much as before, but you also collect actually a lot bigger data set for each patient. Yeah, we collect the same data as a doctor would collect, but much more frequently. I can imagine that makes life better for a patient, but I can also imagine that makes life a lot more complicated for the person on the other side who analyzes that data. Uh, Well, what you start seeing is uh, these patients get more confidence about their health because they send in measurements more regularly and they know that someone is checking up on their measurements much more frequently. Uh, But for for a nurse that needs to uh, process all this information they spend a lot more time behind their computer than they would normally do. Right. Because normally they would just see all their patients at the clinic. And and you help them with that as well, right? Yeah, so that's that's the that's the next step. So right now all the data is coming in. So what we want to do is uh, give people the insight that on which patients need more monitoring based on the measurements that are coming in. Yeah, so not just the huge 
big data collection, but already prioritizing it for the nurse or the doctor. Exactly. Right. Yep. So, so how would a nurse's job change once you succeed in, in realizing that? Okay, so for instance, normally when when a heart failure patient com- comes into the clinic, there are upper and lower limits to, for instance, blood pressure. And those are guidelines to check uh, whether a patient needs extra care or needs a change in medication, for instance. Mm-hmm. So instead of having a nurse check all these measurements, whether they fit in the bandwidth of the measurement, a computer can do that by itself. And then what's the new role of the nurse? So the new role of the nurse is still to process this information, but in a much more efficient way and also in a way that doesn't require a nurse to be behind the computer and checking up all the measurements all the time. And how does the algorithm know? Because health is so complicated. There are so many factors that play into it and it's so personal. You know, your health is different from mine. Mm -hmm. So how does the algorithm predict what are the riskiest cases or prioritize the cases? Let's start with... Uh, the blood pressure measurements, okay? Mm -hmm. So one thing you can do with uh, the data that's coming in, and you you measure uh, blood pressure frequently over time, is to try and predict from the historical data what the blood pressure of the patient is likely going to be. So before a measurement comes in, you already know quite a bit about how how the blood pressure should, what the blood, blood pressure should look like. Because you've tracked that person for a long time. Exactly. So in this classification space, prior information can predict what the future information is going to look like. You can compare this sort of classification with, uh, for instance, your smartphone. If you type in a message on your smartphone keyboard, Mm -hmm. it will offer a suggestion what the next word is going to be based on the things you've already typed. So for instance, if I often go to this coffee shop around the corner... And I'll type in, I'm going to, and it'll fill in the coffee shop, for instance, because it knows I'm going to go there often. Yeah. Whereas if I now type in, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the zoo, it might suggest, hey, are you sure you're going to go to the zoo or some, or don't you mean the coffee shop? So in this case, you would get, um, I am going to, uh, an algorithm could learn that that is a phrase that is associated to a location. uh, And if it also learns your preference about the lo- what locations you normally go to, it can suggest these types of locations for right. you. And if it happens to be that a location is different from what the algorithm is predicting, in the case of a keyboard, it might offer you different suggestions. But in, in the case of our algorithm, it could mean a decision to flag a measurement as deviating from normal so that a nurse can take extra action on it. Right. But that's super personal, right? Like I might go to the coffee shop often and you might go to the zoo often. So Mm -hmm. how do you do that with healthcare where it's even more personal and there's so many factors playing into what's normal? So what what is currently happening in healthcare is that there are categories of patients where uh, a certain level of blood pressure is uh, indicative of uh, a worsening condition. Uh, And those are uh, generalized values over a large group of patients. What you can do with uh, when you collect more data on a personal level is start defining boundaries for individual patients on a personal level. And what what are personal aspects that that might come into play, for instance? So we we know from uh, that if you work out a lot, the your heartbeat at rest is slower than than someone who doesn't work out as much. So 
that means that a lower heart rate for a certain patient might not be a big problem because he or she is already very active. And uh, the more information you know about someone's health, the more biological information you have, the more you can train an algorithm to predict what is normal for that person. So what's the actual output of the algorithm that the nurse then gets to see? Uh, Currently, uh, we try to prioritize the measurements that the nurse should process. So we try to order all the measurements that come in in categories of uh, take a good look at or these are probably normal. Mm -hmm. The output is basically a category of how interesting the measurement is. Mm-hmm. Right, so what normally happens with, uh, with, with measurements that are so low that they're probably measured wrong is that the nurse will ask the patient to send in another measurement to check whether the sensor is working correctly. And those are very safe parts of the workflow that you can automate. So if, a, if the system detects that, can detect such a deviation itself, it can just say, okay, I'm going to ask the patient to do the measurement already so the nurse doesn't have to spend time on that. And, you know, that's interesting to me because you mentioned that that's a very safe decision to yeah. to um, give to an algorithm. How do you yeah. distinguish between the safe decisions and the risky decisions? Well, so it's always trying to automate this decision processes in healthcare are also are always inherently a bit risky because uh, you take away some of the autonomy of nurses and doctors to make that kind of a decision. So you have to always have to be very careful with that. So what we try to do is to leave uh, the ultimate decision about whether a measurement is normal and a uh, decision of about the health of a patient into the hands of humans mm-hmm. and only let the, uh, the systems we develop be uh, an advisor in this case. Right. But what makes the decision to have a patient redo a measurement, for instance, what makes that a safe decision? I guess the main distinction between safe and risky decisions is whether they can do damage. Um, and in the case of healthcare, it's better to be safe than sorry. So it's it's very safe and very low effort for someone to send in another measurement to check whether the first measurement was faulty mm-hmm. than to ignore a measurement that maybe is was not faulty and could actually mean, okay, this patient's blood rate is really low and that's actually because there is imminent heart failure. So there's always a trade-off between false positives and, and misses in, in, in classification algorithms. And a false positive would be a measurement that comes in uh, that is flagged as this might be a worrying measurement while it's actually fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, a miss would be a measurement that comes in is flagged as nothing serious is going on, but it might actually indicate that Uh, the patient's health is failing. Right, and when you have too many false positives, that's going to cause more work for the healthcare professional. But when you have false negatives, that might actually cause damage to a patient. Yeah, and that's the the riskier decision in this case. So in these cases, it's better to stay stay on the safe side and do a bit of extra work if that uh, saves you from missing the uh, relevant cases. Right. And how do you determine that balance in your algorithm? How do you make sure that that balance between false positives and false negatives is constantly at the right level? Uh, The domain is always the most important 
driver of this decision. And in the case of healthcare, it's usually better to be on the safe side and do an extra checkup or have some bring someone in uh, to the clinic and, and do a checkup than to not follow up. But what does on the safe side mean? Mm. Like, does your algorithm ever not show data of certain patients to the nurse because the algorithm already has deemed this data as regular or normal? It's it's a matter of how you present this to the to the nurse. I think it's always good to present all the data and apply but apply filtering to the data. But it's always important for a nurse or a healthcare professional to be able to turn off the filter and take a look at all the data that's there, everything that's being measured. So the end decision to to not bring someone into the clinic is always in a human's hands then. Absolutely. And that doesn't mean a human isn't fallible. Doctors make mistakes as well. But as it stands, uh, an algorithm that just has as input all the measurement information of a patient will never see a complete picture or a picture as complete as a doctor would. Because there are so many health factors playing in that you can't all put into into the data set. Uh, exactly. And this can be alleviated a little if you uh, can connect, for instance, uh, electronic medical records and if you ask patients to send in uh, questionnaires about their health and more uh, physiological data. We always ask for consent of the patient to collect this data and we make it very visible what kind of data is being collected and what it is used for. And um, we, al- we also show the benefit of taking these extra measurements and sending in these data because your health is being monitored much more frequently. So what is the next thing you're working towards? What's what's the next development you want to realize? So currently our systems are still very much reactive and we want to become more proactive in aiding uh, nurses and patients. So what I would really like to see is the system predicts based on the data that's coming in whether uh, a patient will is likely to have an exacerbation, which means a worsening of the patient's health before it actually takes place. Yeah, so I would like to try to make that decision to bring someone in mm-hmm. uh, and try to make try to make that decision earlier before the problems get really bad. But then the algorithm has to be able to read this data better than a human. Um, Is that right? So a classification algorithm in this case is always, because it's such a specialized tool for the data, it's always going to be able to extrapolate from the data better than uh, than a human. It w- With the limited input uh, that an algorithm has, it's probably able to say more with more certainty where the, where the data is going, where the measurements are going. So will that human check always be there? Um, for now, definitely. From generic data sets to personalized predictions, while ensuring consent and transparency for both patients and healthcare professionals. The trends for AI in healthcare are not that different from other applications, but the stakes are much higher in this game, both risks and potential wins. Rick van der Brule, data analyst at Lucy. The OG AI. Hello, I am Baymax, your personal healthcare companion. I heard a sound of distress. What seems to be the trouble? 
On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your pain? This is Baymax from the 2014 Disney animated movie Big Hero 6. Baymax is a big, soft, inflatable healthcare companion. The characters from the movie are based on the Marvel comic Big Hero 6, where Baymax was first introduced in 1998. But in the comics, Baymax is a robotic synthformer acting as personal bodyguards. Because of his strength, surveillance capabilities and expert data analysis. Disney took these protection skills of Baymax, but they put it in a more caring package. Hero's older brother, Tadashi, designed Baymax as a healthcare companion and wants to help Hero on a better path in life. As Hero himself is a robotics genius, but he mostly uses that knowledge for illegal robot fighting. And as it goes in a good Disney movie, something bad happens and Hero is left alone with just Baymax as his buddy. Baymax's purpose is to help people and he sees Hero as a patient in need of help. His healthcare chip instructs him with 10,000 different medical procedures. But any chip can be inserted and give Baymax numerous amounts of knowledge. What happens next? Go see the movie. Just know that as a healthcare companion, Baymax is thoroughly effective. I will scan you for injuries. Don't scan me. Scan complete. Unbelievable. You have sustained no injuries. However, your hormone and neurotransmitter levels indicate that you are experiencing mood swings. Common in adolescence. Diagnosis? Puberty. Whoa, what? I had my biannual dentist visit the other day. And despite that everything was fine, it was still horrible, traumatic, earth-shattering. Sorry, I'll stop. But I'd much rather fill in a questionnaire on my eating habits and take a snap of my teeth every day to avoid him. Wouldn't that be a great AI use case? Follow me for more at bnr.nl slash AI podcast or on your favorite podcast app.